morning, everybody. If you'll turn to Second Chronicles chapters 23, and I forgot we had communion, so I'm going to try to do 24, but if I feel like we're getting too close, we may not get there. So Second Chronicles 23 and 24. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and uh, the warm place to meet in, and um, we just thank you that we're able to worship you. We've come um, open hearts to receive whatever you have for us and to um, worship you in song and worship you in prayer and uh, fellowship and in your word, and, and we just pray that you bless every part of it, and we hope that you're blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week was an interesting week with this Italiae, this, this lady, and uh, she was a deal. Her son had been taken off the throne, and she decides to go ahead and take out all the other heirs um, at the time. And so she's going room to room and, and, and killing each one of her grandchildren, her grandboys, her grandbabies, and um, just a horrible story, a horrible thing. And she's doing this because she thought with her son on the throne, she'd be able to rule and reign you know, alongside of him. But now that he's gone, she feels like she needs to avenge him and also then also take the throne, which she did last week. Except for one little boy who got hidden away, and he was a baby at the time. So the nurse had taken him, and it was this Jehoshabeth that we left off with. Now, I didn't spend much time on her last week, but this is the wife of the priest, the high priest at the time. And she takes this baby and, and the nurse and hides them in the house of God. Because that's the last place this crazy grandmother's ever going to look, is in the house of God. She was into Baal worship and all these other gods. Um, she would never look there. And so they take this little boy in. Um, and this is obviously a demonic attack, trying to stop the promises of God. You know, And we see that throughout Scripture with Moses and Jesus. And we kind of hit on that a little. Well, we pick up the story. The boy's seven years older now, okay? And it's time for him to be installed on the throne. But a seven-year-old kid doesn't know how to rule a kingdom. But this surrogate, you know, grandmotherly type lady that's hidden him away in the house of God and her husband are going to help this boy and protect him and raise him up so that he can do this. And for 40 plus years, they're going to be alongside this kid, helping him bring the nation back to worshiping God. So it's a good story. It's really good. It says in the seventh year, so seven years later, after this hiding away of this little boy, Jehoiada, that's the high priest, that's the priest at the time, it was his wife that hid the baby, Jehoshabeth, Jehoiada, the priest, strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds, Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of uh, Jehohanna, Azariah, the son of Obed, uh, Maasiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. So he gets five guys that are in charge of the hundreds. So these are soldiers, okay? He's got to get them on board because we want to make sure that this coup is successful. This is a literal coup. This is what a coup looks like. And they're going to do this. We need these guys on hand, rotating guard around this little boy. Now, I can't imagine being this little boy. You know, he doesn't know what's going on. I know some seven-year-olds had some seven-year-olds in my life, and you know some too. Um, just not a care in the world, or not, they're not supposed to have a care in the world anyway. They're supposed to play and go to school and learn and, and play some more and, you know, eat a lot and sleep a lot. You know, that's all they do. 
Well, this poor little kid's in the middle of a power struggle of a nation, and he is the chosen one to be on the throne. He's the last kid in the line of David, okay? And so it's not his fault, but it is his responsibility. It's his calling. And at the age of seven, he's going to see that, and people around him are going to recognize that and help him with that calling. I know a lot of people, young in age, that know right away, and I think Rod would have a lot of testimonies of that also from our Sunday school that just know what they're supposed to do. They, they fall in love with God, and they want to serve him. They don't know how or whatever, but they'll try different things, and they begin to serve God immediately, even at their age. They're not waiting to mature. They're not waiting to become a certain uh, level or whatever. They just feel that calling, and it's beautiful that these folks do too. First of all, beautiful that they took the time to protect this boy earlier on as an infant, when it would have been easier and safer for them to let it go, they didn't. They didn't. They, they saw the responsibility in front of them. Nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was hiding this kid. They saw the responsibility and took it on themselves. Well, they're taking it another step. They've got these five men that are in charge of 100 men each. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the, the, the Levites, um, um, from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. So they're going to have a, a coronation. They're going to have a, a, a crowning ceremony, but they need these people there present to witness it and to also certify it and ratify it. So they're grabbing these folks to bring them in. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. This is what you shall do. One third of you entering the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. One third shall be at the king's house. One third at the gate of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. They may go in, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep watch of the Lord, or keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapon in his hand, and everyone who comes into the house, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. This is earlier on secret service right here. I want your weapon in your hand, not sheathed, not sitting by someplace. I want it in hand. You need to be ready to protect this kid. Big deal. It's big. Now this kid walks in and all eyes are on him, all these big strong men with their swords out and all these priests in robes and all the fuss. I just can't imagine what was going through his head, you know? And yet this is what he's called for. This is what he's meant to do. And he's surrounded himself. God has surrounded this little boy with men and women who understand that calling, not taking the calling on themselves or away from this kid, which that crazy grandmother wanted to do, right? But they see the the hope and the promise in this little boy to bring about in the kingdom what needs to take place, and that's a return to God. And so they come alongside, and they're obeying the Lord. The kid isn't qualified. He isn't educated. He doesn't have what it takes. He's never proven himself. He's never watched sheep like David did or taken out Goliath like David did. All they have to go off of is that God said so. This is the kid. This is the one. And that was enough for them. That's all it took was God's word, and they obeyed God's word and made sure 
We don't know how it's going to happen that this seven-year-old's going to be able to do what he's required to do, but we trust God. And they set it up to do this. They're making things right. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada, the priest, commanded. And each man took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada, the priest, had not dismissed the divisions. And Jehoiada, the priest, gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and the large uh, and small shields uh, which had belonged to King David that, that were in the temple of God. So not only the temple of God a place of worship, but it was also their armory at the same time. Interesting. But that's where they kept them safe. That's where they kept all the things. Because they were a theocracy. They understood that it was indistinguishable between the defense of the nation and the worship of God. There was the same thing to them. David was uh, very close to being a priest and a king at the same time. Knowing that that's not allowed by law, he took the place of the king, but very much a worshiper of God and very much a leader of worship. And it was hard for them to even separate the two because it can't be. It shouldn't be. And so for the nation of Israel, who was called to be a theocracy, asking for a king later on, they understood their roots and their safety and their protection was in God. The king was a figurehead only. There was no hope in the king by himself. It had to have, they had to have God with him. So when you see this, these spears and shields and things in the temple, they understood that these are, in, these are holy instruments used to keep and, and to protect the people. Then he set all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and by the temple, all around the king. And they brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, imagine it was a little sloppy, didn't fit quite tight enough, gave him the testimony, the word of God in his hand, and he's got the crown and the testimony, and made him king. Then Jehoiada and the sons anointed him and said, long live the king, and everybody's celebrating. It's the way it should be. Things are righted. Now, crazy grandma hears this. Now, in Natalia, I heard the noise of the people running and praising the king. She came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Also, the singers and the musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Atali tore her clothes and said, treason, treason. It's ironic that she can't see it, that she's the traitor, that she's the one that did the original coup and broke up the line of David and decided to take the throne for herself. She doesn't see it in herself. She doesn't understand that she's being a hypocrite. And the hypocrisy just drips from her words, treason, treason. no. You're the traitor. And Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were set over the army and said to them, take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they seized her and she went by way of the horse gate into the king's house and they killed her there. That's exactly what they said was going to happen. Anybody comes into this house, comes into the house of the Lord, make sure that they don't leave because we know that they're going to try to stop this and we need to protect this boy. Imagine what the look looked like from her. Seven-year-old kid with a goofy crown on his head and holding this gigantic word of God. And here comes crazy grandma at the door staring at him, you know. I mean, it's like Cruella DeVille showing up at the door. 
boy, I'm glad these big guys are all around me with swords and protecting me, you know? It's an ugly time. Sin is ugly. It just is. Bad things happen, you know? Um, This is not the way it was supposed to be, but it is not the fault of the priest. It's not the fault of the little boy. It's not the fault of anybody except this woman who decided to seize power and to take it. It didn't belong to her. She took something that God had not given her upon herself. And so she finds herself in a terrible place. She finds herself up against all these people that are for God and doing what God wants them to do. And she's stuck. Well, she's gone now. Verse 16, then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. Now that she's gone and she's done leading us away from the Lord, I, I call and I suggest we all get back to the Lord and be called the Lord's people. That's a very important thing for all of us to say, to be the Lord's people. That's an individual response each one of us has to make to God. I am God's. I belong to him. I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to anybody but him. My heart is not divided. My mind is not divided. I'm completely his. I belong to the Lord. And so they make this covenant with the entire nation that we should be a people of the Lord. That's who we should be. That's who we were called to be. We were saved from Egypt for that purpose. And they all know that. We need to get back to the Lord. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. It's a good start. Get rid of the Baal worship and all the things that would divide your heart and divide your mind. That's what we do. You dedicate yourself to the Lord and you begin to remove those things from your life that divide your heart and your attention and your love and your affection so that you can only give it to God. There's only one place left for it. He deserves all of it. He doesn't share. They broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, or Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars for leading them astray. Also Jehoiada appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had assigned in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and with singing as it was established with, by David. And he set the gatekeepers in the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. Had to be that way. That's how the law is written. It's not that they didn't want other people to come to God. It said this was a giant picture of what heaven is like. And unless you're cleansed, you cannot see God. Unless you've been made perfect by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's the foreshadowing that's taking place here, you can't come into the presence of God. So we need to get back to the picture that God had always set out for us so that when people see the temple, the priests moving around, the operation, the sacrifices that need to be made, they're understanding what the Messiah was going to do to them, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You can't mess that picture up without messing up the image of Jesus. You can't take away from what God had designed to show people and foreshadow the coming of the Messiah and not take away from Jesus, and they had done that. They got it in their hearts that they could be a divided people, that you could worship the way you wanted to, wherever you wanted to. And that it didn't matter. But in in so doing, you made Jesus not matter anymore. You make the coming Messiah not matter anymore. And so they went back to what David had set in order. And that's in 1 Chronicles 23.6. We won't read it, but that's where David assigns everybody their duties and responsibilities. This is how 
We need to worship. Verse 20, then he took the captains of hundreds and the nobles and the governors of the people and all the people of the land and brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went through the upper gate to the king's house and set the king on the throne of the kingdom. You can see his little legs dangling. Can't reach the floor yet. So all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was quiet for they had slain Italii with the sword. There's peace now. This lady not only terrorized the royalty and the royal family, but she terrorized everybody. She just loved that position. She loved to antagonize people and lord over them. And the whole place was quiet because she was gone. Mm. Blessed subtraction sometimes, you know. We can rest. It's all we want to rest sometimes. We just want some rest. And it's nice to not have the attack or the worry or looking over your shoulder. There's always that idea of that Italian, you know, always there, you know. See her walking down the street or see her doing this, that, or the other thing. It just makes you that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach. Well, she's gone now, and that's been removed. And it's like, I can have peace. I can rest. I can breathe, you know. Now, I think we can do it. 24. Joash was seven years old. When he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem, that's a good run. It's a good run because of the priest. I mean, fortunately, it's, it's because of Jehoiada. Um, he's the reason that, Je, that, that this king is able to do such a great job over 40 years, because as soon as this king dies, we're going to see um, this Jehoiada, or this little boy goes off the rails here. I don't know what happened, um, but for now, it's Jehoiada doing it, the priest doing and helping because Joash is seven. I mean, he doesn't know what to do. So the priest is saying, well, this is what God wants us to do. Oh, all right. Well, let's do what God wants us to do. Seven-year-olds are easy, you know. His mother's name was Zabiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. He did what was right in the Lord as long as that guy was alive. And Jehoiada took two wives for himself for him, and he had sons and daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. Now, this might have been his first idea. Now, we don't know how far along into his reign this is, but he says, let's let's fix up the house of God. Let's get this straightened out. And he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. Now, a couple things bother me about this, and because this doesn't work. He calls God your God, not our God. That's a red flag for me. I don't know if it's true or not. He may have just been saying, you know, the God you guys serve, let's go get his house spruced up. There's a distance there. The second thing I see here is he wants them to go take the money. I want you to go out and take the money. Because what does work is the opposite of that, people giving the money. So let's read on so you understand what I'm saying. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. They were a little hesitant to go out and be the tax collector, basically. So the king called Jehoiada the chief priest. Remember who he is. The one who kept this boy safe for seven years in the house of God. The, the one who's alongside of him and got him installed as king and has set the protection around him. That, this priest. So this king calls him and says, why have you not inquire or required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. 
kind of chewing him out a little bit. For the sons of Talai, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented um, all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baal. So they've all been defiled. All these instruments, remember the gold and the silver and all the spoons and the forks and the pans and all the things we read about, those have all been given over to Baal. They're tainted now. We need to remake. So why haven't you done this? Then at the king's command, so there's a conversation between seven and eight that we don't have. It's not clear as to what was said. But what happens next is probably the suggestion of Jehoiada, is my guess. Then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside at the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced. They brought their contributions and put them into the chest until all had given. And so it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, that the king's scribe and the high priest officers came and emptied the chest, and they took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. The difference isn't there. Just leave the chest out there. It's like the original tithe box, you know? You bring to God, and it's between you and God. No one's keeping track. No one's doing a tally. They came and checked the box, like, kind of full. Let's empty it and put it back. See what happens. And every day they're going, hey, this is a lot better when it's free, when it's from a heart, when it's from someone who loves God, not from taking, not from uh, coercion, you know? It's got to become, throughout Scripture we have this. It's, yes, there was a temple tax. Yes, there were certain things that God said in the law. You need to give a tithe. You need to give a tenth. You need to do these things. He put that in there so they understood that not because they had to follow the law, but because they had been breaking the law. This should come naturally to you. This should be just a natural thing. This shouldn't be something that we have to talk to you about. This is just should be a natural thank you, God, for all you've done for me here, you know. But the law is always made and pointed and written to bring us to our understanding that we fall short and we need a savior. He needs to help us and save us from these things that keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing for God. And so the law was simply to show the brokenness of our hearts. And so they did it differently. They just put it out there. And every time God wants to do something for the house, he says, and anybody that has a free will and has a, has a heart to do it, let them do it. And they did. You know, it just worked out great. And so that's the difference between those two, I believe, is the difference between taking and just leaving it there for people to do whatever's in their heart. And uh, it was a blessing to everybody, you know. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored. And the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. I don't know what that means, but made it stronger and better than it ever has been. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, and they made from it articles for the house of the Lord. Remember, those are the defiled things given over to Baal. They remade those articles for serving and offering spoons and vessels of gold and silver, and they offered burnt offerings to the house of the Lord or in the house of the Lord, continually all the days of Jehoiada. Yeah, all right, you know, back on track. You got to love this. Um, Good for him. 
Now it changes, unfortunately. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. He was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and, the, and in his house. That was quite an honor to be buried with those kings. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. It was always that group. They were just waiting for this guy to, to depart, to die. He was, the, he was the restraining force. He was the one... I don't know what it is about certain people. There are some people that just have that effect. And I I believe it's because they're filled with the Spirit, not because it's because they're anointed by God. I think there's just an effect certain people have of purifying. You know? There's just something about them. And that was this priest's job. He just, I just, this is not the way I'm going to do it exactly like. He was dumb enough to just believe God and his word. And I say that with all respect. Because the leaders are obviously thinking he's not smart. He's doing what's wrong in, the, in their eyes. And they just can't wait for him to die so they can do what's, this is what, a, this is what we need. We need to worship anybody we want. We need to get rid of this theocracy. We need to get back to just, you know. They ignore the fruit. They ignore the blessing associated with giving your heart to God and following him. They ignore the evidence, the proof of God's promises coming to pass through our obedience. And they think that they're wrong. Or these guys thought that guy, Jehoiada, was wrong, even though the evidence for 40 years is right in front of him. You know? It was unmistakable. And the evidence of their decisions to serve and worship sin is very evident too. And they choose to ignore that too. That's not, that's not why this is happening. It's exactly why it's happening. So they began to serve these wooden images and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he, God sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not listen. Return, return, return. God is always faithful to call his people back that are wandering away. Finally, it says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him. And at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Reminds me of Stephen, right? That's exactly what happened to Stephen. And he even accounts for this. Which one of the, which one of the prophets didn't you guys kill? Stephen said that in his stoning. As Stephen's getting stoned, he says, which one of the prophets didn't you guys kill? You bunch of hypocrites. And then you admire them and think they're the greatest after you've murdered them. Amazing. So it's happening right before us. This is Zechariah, who is the son of Jehoiada. That's the guy, the high priest, the 130-year-old man that just died. His son is now the prophet speaking to this king and to the nation of Israel. Come back. Same heart as his dad. So they stoned him. Thus, 
Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father or um, Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, "The Lord look on it and repay." That's a little different from Stephen, isn't it? What Stephen say? Does anybody remember? Lord forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? This this guy says, "Get them," you know, when I'm gone, kind of thing. I've always thought there's just there's two different kinds of priests. You've got the Ezra's out there, and you've got the Nehemiah's. Remember, we're going to get into these guys pretty soon. They're right after this book. We get into uh, the return of Israel out of Babylon. And, and Ezra was the kind of guy that would pull his own beard out at other people's sin. Oh, they're sinning. You know, I just wish they'd stop sinning. And then Nehemiah was the other guy that would grab them by the beard and say, stop sinning all the time. You know, there's just different kinds of folks. Now, there is obviously a big contrast as Stephen knew Jesus and had the example of forgiveness and there was forgiveness to be given by the people. We just learned about that this last Wednesday. On the other hand, in the Old Testament, Jesus isn't there yet. The Messiah is not there. There were sacrifices you could offer. But for him to say out loud, forgive them, for they know not what they do, would have been probably blasphemy at that time. He could forgive them, but this is a bigger sin against the nation. It wasn't just against the guy getting stoned. It was against these guys leading the whole nation. It's one thing if someone's harming you, you can forgive them all you want. But if they're harming everybody, eh, that's where the shepherd's got to step in and stop. No, we can't let that happen. That's not fair to the other sheep. And I believe that's his heart in this kind of thing. Although I don't know what I'd say as I was getting pummeled with rocks in a, in a pit. Who knows? I hope it's not recorded. I, Wow. I'd probably be tossing them back at him, you know, or something. Ow! Mm, poof, got him, you know, taking three of you out with me while I'm going down. I mean, I there's a reason. I'm not one to sit down and let it happen. The Lord look on it and repay. Can't you see it? And they can't. So it happened in the spring of that year that the army of Syria came up against them. Remember these guys? This is the this is their enemy came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. It's the exact opposite of what happened the last time they fought. It's who's on your side doesn't matter how many people you have, but if God's on your side and God is on Syria's side in this, that's interesting. It's something you got to hold on to. God does what he wants to do. They weren't a great people. The Syrians needed a lot of change, you know, and they weren't worshiping the true and living God either. But because he needed to teach Israel and change them and bring them back to him, he used Syria in their lives. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they uh, left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So because they stoned that prophet, they decided to go ahead and kill the king that let that happen. So he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Forty years he ruled and reigned, and he didn't get the same privilege Jehoiada did. Because everybody knew, knew why they were 
coming back to the Lord, and it wasn't because of the king, it was because of this priest. These are the ones who conspired against him. Uh, Zabad, the son of uh, Shemith, uh, the Ammonitus, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimrith, the Moabitus. Now, concerning his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed, they are written in the annals of the book of the kings. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. And that's where we pick up next week. All right, two chapters. We did it. Good job. Now we're going to have communion. Take some time here and, and uh, thank God for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. So it's a wonderful thing. As the guys are handing out the bread and the, and the juice, um, it's important to know what these things represent. The, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. On the night that he was betrayed, um, Jesus was sitting with his disciples having the a meal and broke the bread and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember my broken body, Jesus says. On the same night, he also took the cup. They were all passing around, you know, and uh, he said, this is the cup of my new covenant of my blood. It's going to be shed for you. Um, it's going to cover over your sins. And this is for you. And off, as often as you drink this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. Now, this isn't blood and this isn't his body at all. It's representative of what was going to happen. And so as we eat this, we remember that Jesus broke his body for us. He shed his blood for us. And that's how we get to go to heaven. That's our forgiveness that our sin was paid for at the cross, that Jesus took our sin upon him. And as he was nailed to the cross, so was our sin. And what a beautiful thing that is for us. That's why we worship him. That's why we give him our lives. That's why we live for him and we read his word and we want to be more like him and let him transform us into his image to look more like Jesus every single day and how we think and how we feel and in our conduct because of what he's done for us, not for it. Big difference. We begin to do all these things for salvation. We forget that it's a, it's grace. It's been given to us. It was done for us while we were still his enemies and that's why we love him so much is, I mean, especially on this beautiful day of celebrating love for one another, we know how much God loved us. And he demonstrated that love by sending his son to die for us. He didn't have to do that, but he did because he loved us. And so this morning, we're going to thank him for that. Lord, we thank you for, for your plan of salvation. Uh, we're the ones that messed everything up in the garden. We're the ones that ate and were disobedient to you and found it in our hearts to trust our own leading as opposed to yours. And um, well, we got ourselves into trouble. And, and we have, each one of us, from the day we were born, we've been sinning against you, doing our own thing, thinking our own thoughts and, and following our own ways, our own hearts, which are deceptively wicked. We've got a sin nature that leads us and drives us away from you but you called us back, but you gave us a way to return to you. There was no other way. We deserve death, but because you died on the cross for us, now we can come to you and receive that grace and mercy and forgiveness anytime. And so we do that this morning. We thank you for the forgiveness you've given us for our sins. We rely on your mercies, which are new every morning. And that gives us peace in our heart and rest for our souls. And so we love you now because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, let's eat.
Lord, we're all broken vessels, but we've been healed. We've been touched by you. We've been restored. And now, although we're earthen vessels, we carry you wherever we go. And uh, we pray that you'd help us to share this forgiveness, share the truth that there is sin, that sin needs to be repented of and needs to be understood, and that there's a way back to you, and that people need to know that through Jesus they can have that forgiveness. And um, I just pray that you give us the boldness in these last days to share your truth in love with hope that people would, would return to you. Um, but we know that's up to them. It's their choice. That's whether they choose to follow you and receive you and receive that forgiveness. And so we pray that you give us the opportunities, the boldest to speak when given the opportunities. And uh, we pray that the, whatever comes of that would be all glory to you, Lord. But you give all, you get all the credit, Lord, and um, all the glory for your salvation through your son, Jesus. In your, in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, ready? One, two, three. All right, have a good rest of the day, guys.